make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. This is episode 7, and today I'm speaking with Avraham, who is a former Orthodox Jew. You can find him on Twitter at NoReallyImFine. Do reach out and give him some feedback on our very special Passover episode. Hi, Avraham. Hi, Ina. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Enjoying my spring break. <laughs> Enjoying Passover? Well, my school that I work at has a spring break right over Passover, so it's a nice combination. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was uh, researching Passover a little bit when I... Um, when we decided we were going to talk to each other, it's uh, interesting. And you sent me you sent me lyrics to a song that that is traditionally sung with um, mention of an angel of death and yeah, yeah. That's quite a. It's funny because this is like we sing these songs at the end of the meal, and like this is after like five hours of just sitting around talking and eating, and everyone's like kind of a little drunk. And it's, it's like such good memories. Like this is like the favorite part of the meal in a lot of ways. <laughs> but And then like the other night, just talking to my fiance, Leah, about it. And I was like, whoa, just like, you know, going through what, what it actually, what we're actually saying in the song. We would sing it in Aramaic, you know, like an yeah. old mix of Hebrew and, and Arabic, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like just saying it over in English and being like, wow, what is this song? Right, right. And uh, I was reading the lyrics and this is, uh, I guess, one of the end verses where everything is collected. It's like, the angel of death came and slew the slaughterer who killed the ox that drank the water, that extinguished the fire, that burned the stick, that beat the dog, that bit the cat, that ate the goat. So, I mean... Yeah. Dog. Well, you missed the you missed the the best part, which is when God comes to save us and kill the angel of death, of course. Oh, oh okay, <laughs> I missed that part, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing is kind of like a celebration of uh, God slaughtering Egyptian firstborns and passing over. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I definitely. You know, I think it's right. I think there's like that that buildup of like just the different ways in which. The Jews, you know, as we feel like, uh, uh, like sort of beaten down by the world, or beaten down by different parts of society, and then you know each time, but then I guess it ends with like God, you know, coming to be the final say in the matter, you know, by killing the angel of death. Right, and 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 children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. You know, it's it's like it's shocking almost. When it's you... shock, and and I mean, it's not just unique to Judaism. I mean, there's like all sorts of celebrations of really twisted things in all religions. I think it's just that no one really stops to think about what is being celebrated. Exactly. When we're sitting there, we're just reciting some words that we're not really thinking about. Exactly. And the whole thing with um, the Quran and the Hadith is. Uh, it's always in Arabic, so non-Arabic speaking or even Arabic speaking, I'm guessing like if they don't understand like the ancient classical Arabic uh, as well. So it, 
you just don't understand and you're just reciting words emptily. Right. Sure. Yeah, that definitely was a not even so much of my experience. I actually grew up with a fairly decent understanding of a lot of the Hebrew texts that I was reading. Oh, okay. Um, a little bit because my parents, both, especially my dad, speaks fluent Hebrew, um, and also I think I picked it up pretty quickly and easily, like when I was, you know, in school studying. Um, but I, you know, all my friends like have this experience where like prayer was literally just a mindless recitation of words. Yeah. That they have no idea what they were saying. Right. You know, and even half of it for me, like even with getting having a good grasp of a lot of it, you know, it's just. You just feel like you're just sitting there saying these words over, you know, every day, three times a day, but not really in touch with what you're saying. And what is it with the number three? We have a, a thing with the number three in Islam, too. I don't get it. Some yeah, kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit OCD, don't you think? Like, like I always used to wonder as a kid, why not four? Why not two? <laughs> why is it three specifically? Yeah, four is four is the I think Passover is the holiday of the number four. There's a lot of like four related things. Oh, is there? Okay, well we four cups of wine we drink. Oh, that's 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 a tradition I can (laughs) I can get down with definitely. I was noticing this seder. So the way it's structured is like you spend it's just about like a five to seven hour meal depending on wow yeah, and the first three to five hours are there's no food. So what it's, do you do? You just sit around the table? Sitting there, you're reading through the what's called the Haggadah, which is like the, the Passover book. And you're telling the story of the Jews in Egypt and them getting out and their freedom and their slavery. And there's a lot of that, the contrast of like slavery versus freedom. You know, we do some rituals to sim- symbolize being slaves, some rituals to symbolize being free. And then, and during that time, you're drinking two cups of wine. Okay. And then at the, after that is when you like, you, then you have like a matzah and marar period. So matzah is like the cracker bread that we eat. And marar is the just horseradish that they eat with, we eat with lettuce. And this is all just happening around the table the whole day yeah. or whatever. Well, it's like we, we do it at night, like the first two nights. So like Friday night we did one and then Saturday night another one. And doesn't it get tiring? Extremely. Yeah, Extremely. I'd imagine so. Yeah, uh, especially when – and it's – there's such a difference in doing it now when I'm like not really in the community and I'm just coming for this meal to, you know, to be with my parents, my family and like enjoy, you know, enjoy the rituals. But in this way of like where I'm removed from it, yeah. as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, it was you were in the holiday. The holiday felt like just a different time. It felt like the energy in the air was different almost, yeah. especially like living in a Jewish community where everyone's doing it. Definitely. Yeah. And so like it. It's long and it would it could be a drag, you know, it could really you, like it was always exciting to look forward to. But when you're about halfway through, you're just like, oh, when's the food coming? <laughs> and I mean, just viewing it from with from being in it and viewing it from being like an outsider a bit as an ex, uh, as uh-huh. someone who's left the faith, it, it, it gives you a really different perspective, right? And perhaps you're thinking more skeptically and analyzing all the bits and pieces and wondering what the point is at some things, which yeah. you perhaps did not do when you're in the thick of it. Yeah, completely, completely. I feel like when I think back, my when I was in it, my I feel like my focus was much more about, I, w- I was very much seeing like all the drags much more where I was like, oh, now it's a holiday and I can't use my phone for three days and I can't use 
the computer, the internet, drive, can't do all these things. You know, like I, you have to you have to be creative and figure out how you're going to spend all your time and whatever. Right. And, and you don't like it's hard through that lens to also appreciate the fact that yeah, but you get to, you know you have a nice meal with your family you know multiple times in one week and you like that's that's something that now living on my own I appreciate like the the family structure and like having that stability and that regularity with a family and you know and being able to constantly build a relationship whereas like when you're when I was in it I was much more just focused on like. Ugh, like I don't wanna why do I have to be doing this? Right. Yeah. You know? So you're stuck in it and you feel trapped by it, but now you don't necessarily feel that because you're not trapped by it any longer and you're just enjoying the good parts. Yeah, very very much like that. Yeah, I mean I feel similarly about Eid. Like uh I've never really partaken in the Eid prayers and stuff. I've never been much of a prayer. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to like run from any religious things and prayers. So I was never that involved, but now I can appreciate like just the holiday time with my family. Like there's certainly traditions and things that we, you know, I think we should keep and carry on just, uh, you know, as a historical thing and just spending time with family tradition in that sense. But uh, it does get oppressive if you're like involved in it if you're like rushing to the mosque or you know to pray in another way uh, yeah. so very and much relate prayer, to that is prayer a big part for women a big thing for women in, it in is but it, it's like women don't often go to mosques not all mosques have women's sections and if they do there's like a separate entrance in the back it's like a very uh like how racial segregation was like uh -huh. second class you know we we cannot be equals with men in a mosque sure and sure. Uh, i mean these are things that i picked up on when i was really little I haven't been to a mosque many times in my life because you know woman so right. um the few times that i did i was just like really offended at the way <laughs> just at the way we were like shoved to the back and um, really yeah other than that, um, women can't pray when they're menstruating. Well, wow. Yeah. Because they're unclean. That's and the yeah. God that created uh, the <laughs> menstrual cycle even won't accept them. <laughs> so <laughs> these things, yeah, they never make so sense. Even even with um, Passover, I was, I was reading about how, you know, they were asked to smear like uh, spring lamb's blood over their door so that they knew who to pass over and who to spare, which houses. Yeah, yeah, sure. And that was meant, I think there was like another element to that also of the lamb, the way we learned, the lamb was like worshipped as a god in Egypt. And so... The, oh, so that's why the poor lamb had to be the killed? Right, the audacity of like killing the Egyptian's <laughs> god and putting it on your Gosh. door for God to save you while he kills him was... <laughs> I think they got a lot of uh, enjoyment out of that. <laughs> Gosh, it's so twisted. But um, but yeah, so again, this all-knowing God, shouldn't God know which houses automatically to spare rather than need this indication of like lamb's blood smeared over the door? Yeah, you yeah. Know? And I think the way that sort of my community like got around that in a lot of instances... Um, they would sort of draw this distinction, which never really like it always just seemed to not actually make sense to me. But they would say they would draw this distinction between like, well, God does what he thinks is best, but also you need to do the right thing. 
And I was like always confused by like how what you're doing should influence what what makes sense for God, especially if he's way smarter than us. Right. But but it was always like that element. So it was like, well, you have to put the blood on your door so you did your effort into into getting the right thing, and then God will help you. It it doesn't really like follow through. I don't see logically, but that's it. Definitely worked for me for a lot of years. Yeah, they have these little um, ways of putting people's minds at ease so that they will stop asking questions. They've figured all that stuff out. That's why it still continues, right? Like, I mean, kids ask the best questions sometimes. Like, I remember asking my mom about the story of when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. Uh-huh. And uh you know, he he went ahead with it. So I'm like, "Mom, like if this is a good thing, like <laughs> would you do that to me?" And she was like, "No, I'd never do that to you." Then I'm like, "Okay, so then clearly that was a crazy thing to do. Like are you a bad Muslim? What's the deal? Like is, are you a good human because you're a bad Muslim?" <laughs> so yeah, confusing. And when you really try to like think humanistically, I find it really makes creates a lot of problems yeah. because so many things are just that humanism is not the most important thing. You know, like the end game is not people's ultimate like people's ultimate well being and their happiness right no, now. No, not at all. Right. So like <laughs> people, find, animals. No yeah. one is really yeah. And yeah, that that distinction where like humans are so different from animals in religion because of the soul. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're not just like an upgraded consciousness and an upgraded intelligence, you know, it's very much like a, a separate. So like the the compassion for animals is I grew up with like non-existent compassion, basically. Right. Like this chicken whirling oh, yes, tradition. Yes. Dude, do right. tell me about this. OK. Yeah. So around the high holy days for Jews, it's like uh, you have Rosh Hashanah, the new year. And then 10 days later, you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. And that like 10 day period is is like the 10 days of repentance. And during that time, one of the ways they they repent is they would take uh, they take chickens, which thankfully my family just used money instead. But they take chickens and they wave them around their head while they say a prayer to transfer the their their sins onto the chicken. And then they slaughter the chicken. Right. And do they slit the throats of the chickens as well before they they swing them around? Or I think the chickens are alive when they swing them and then they slaughter them after. But I could be wrong about that because we always used money in my house. My parents would just separate a dollar eighty in coins and we'd shake it around their head and give it to charity. That seems a lot <laughs> nicer and easier. Yeah. And I read somewhere that like, you know, like I think it was like 50,000 chickens last year, I think, in New York. I'm not sure I'm getting the stats right, but that's a lot of chickens. To- not sure the exact numbers, but yeah, it's a lot. I, the first time I was ever even at one of these thing, one of these was when I was in Israel, actually. I was like 18. Mm-hmm. But first time, and I went with my friends. Um, I don't think I did it, but one of my friends did it. And then they like slaughtered the chicken for him like right there, which was like pretty disturbing. But when I was in America, the first time I went in America was like two years after that. And I walked into this room that was just had all these chickens and crates and it stank and they were like squawking and people oh were gosh. like, and I just had to walk out. I was so disturbed by that. Like, yeah, I, I mean, didn't even, appreciate how bad it was until I saw it when I was like 20. <laughs> right. For Eid, we, we have the, for one of the Eids, we have two Eids and we have an animal slaughter for that too. And I remember as a kid, like, 
I, I don't think the girls are encouraged to do this, but the boys are encouraged to go and, you know, uh, like slit the throat of the, wow. of the kid, like while other people hold the cow or whatever down. It's oh, like a like rite a of passage. Animal too. Yeah. Not like ah. a chicken. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I was horrified as a child. It, yeah. It's so amazing that like growing up, you saw these things. I think it took me till I was like further removed to really appreciate the, the horror in like. Right. Exactly. That, a lot that, of it was just how life was, you know? Exactly. Cause you don't really know anything else, but you do sense it's horrific, but then you're like, Hey, but everyone else is okay with it. Only when you step back and look at it from the outside, can you truly see the magnitude of how horrific it is. Yes. With yeah. Eid, you're even encouraged to get the animal like I think a week or so before slaughter and befriend it because slaughtering oh. something you care about actually has more meaning than just getting an animal and slaughtering it. So you like, you know, like some people get goats or lambs or whatever and they have it as a pet for a week or two. Wow. And that then sounds- they slaughter it. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, like particularly brutal, sort of. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah, I would say I want to jump back to prayer for a second. Mm-hmm. Just to, yeah, because what you were saying about prayer is actually, it's kind of similar. Like, very, like for men in the Jewish world, you know, I was praying three times a day. I was going ever since I was like eight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but for women, like, you know, my, my fiance, Leia, has went to synagogue like just a few times. And that was like on the high holy days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, just for, you know, a few years. And she, other than that, she would never go and yeah. probably never pray. And this is also like highlights the it really is a different world growing up as a man and growing up as a, a woman or a boy and a girl. Definitely. The gender roles are so strict within Orthodox communities. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I think that that's why, you know, you and I can relate and bond so well over this um even though it's funny because i'm from like the the liberal end my -hmm. family's like a very liberal muslim family but there's still so many like crossovers with your you know your upbringing which is like the orthodox end so that's what you know my issue with islam is in general is that it demands this orthodoxy even from the liberals it's just right. a very orthodox religion in itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that. I, I wonder if, um, I mean, if that's sort of like, in a sense, like the state of the religion, and if it could move as a whole to the more to the to the left, so that way, you know, like the liberal wing could actually be like real liberal. Sort yeah, of how, I mean, there are some uh-huh. people definitely, and there's some sects that are more liberal than others, but those are always denounced as apostates and right. not accepted, right? Yeah, you do have that tough battle to fight yeah. where everyone who uh, tries to change things gets killed. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's but I, I do think of like, this was actually, um, I had this when uh, the first time I listened to Sam Harris's book, Islam and the Future of Tolerance with mm-hmm. Majid Nawaz. And that was the first time I had heard Majid speak mm-hmm. about, any, about you know this. But when he started to talk about reforming Islam and that like just brought home to me when I grew up, like we would talk about the, you know, the people who founded Reform Judaism mm-hmm. as sort of like these heathens, you know, yeah. as these people who like changed the faith. And hearing like Majid talk about it for Islam, and I was like, 
yeah, wow, that he would like that, you know, changing the uh, Islam to be more reformed in a way that Judaism is, that would make some, you know, be the people in, in starting that like heroes in the world. They wouldn't be like terrible people. Absolutely. And I mean, you can just see it from the other faiths that the the more they've moved away from taking things literally, taking things seriously, the better the world has become, the more progress their communities have seen. It's yeah. not at all a horrible thing. Right, yeah, except for the people who right now are holding on to the, the pure fundamentalism of it, you know. Right. It's a very puritanical view of, like, this is how it is, and it can't be changed. Yeah, and I, back yeah. to uh, gender roles again. Uh, tell me about this uh, Nida thing. Nida, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Nida. Nida is how it's... Um, and that is... Yeah, that is a woman's impurity when she's menstruating. And this was like... Exactly the same concept, right? Yeah, yeah. I think manifests slightly differently, but definitely the same concept and something that really from from my early maturity days like just bothered me. And as, like that was the first thing that always stuck out to me in my head about um, just like something so wrong with the religion and specifically like the misogyny in the religion. Yeah. And yeah, so Nida is when a, a husband and wife, when they're married, when the woman is on, starts her period, they cannot touch each other. They don't sleep in the same bed. They don't even pass each other items hand to hand. They have to like put it down and then the other one picks it up. That's intense. And, that I mean, that's yeah. like intense, even from a Muslim perspective. Like, right. wow. Yeah. I, and I wonder, like, how they all, as how sort of everyone does it. Like, how do you even remember to do it the whole time? You know, like, yeah. You, and uh, how? I mean, are kids noticing that their parents have stopped touching each other for? Like, they're drawing more attention to it in a way, aren't they? Like, yeah, I, I definitely like. I personally did not notice these things growing up. I remember when I was like an upper teen, I realized that the cot that my dad had in his room was oh, so that way he could sleep on another bed, but. And did you wonder like, why he was sleeping on a like? Did the, by that time, I knew. Oh. Like by that time, I knew it was because of like Nida and stuff. And um, I, yeah, I, um, yeah, I was just like, I, that, I don't think at that point I even like really appreciated the absurdity. You know, I was still in it. It was still like part of the rules. And there's like they they use the phrase like spiritually impure, which almost Awful. sorts of like make you. Yeah, and like, what's crazy is how that's what they use to sort of placate people's concerns. It's like, well, she's not really, you know, physically dirty. It's just, and you're just like, but from the inside, she's filthy. Like, <laughs> right. how does that make it better? <laughs> yeah, I realize now that it probably helps them a lot. To think that God, you know, supposedly God has created this entire system and all this biology or whatever to happen the way it does. Why the fuck? Pardon me, but. <laughs> Why would he do this to make a certain kind of person feel lesser every month that she has to be declared spiritually impure and not even like literally untouchable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there is a, a sort of parallel with men with the circumcision where yeah. it's also like taught that like you're created like not whole and like you have to be made whole by getting your circumcision. And like it is like sort of one of the most important rituals for a Jewish boy. Right. Um, and which is its own like disturbing. Same uh, with uh, Muslim uh, boys too. Do, do Muslim men get when do they get circumcised? I think it's like in the first week after birth. And do they do it in a hospital? Yeah, usually. So, 
I mean, the more modern people. So the, like that is a like I, I do have like some reservations about the idea of circumcising your child. Oh but, yeah, me too. Now, I mean, I used to like just accept it, but now <laughs> obviously I'm like, this is insane. It yeah. doesn't compare to female genital mutilation. I get annoyed when people try to equate the two because uh-huh. one is certainly done to control the sexual sexuality and pleasure that a woman would get. And this is not necessarily done to control that. It's uh-huh. just kind of, I don't know what they justify. Like it's just what God commanded or it doesn't reduce really significantly sexual pleasure. Maybe mm-hmm. it heightens it for some people, but <clears throat> it's still Barbaric. It's still brutal to slice up a newborn or a child. Yeah, and like I mean, I my my Leia had a nephew, uh, you know, a few months ago, and we went to his circumcision ceremony. Oh, and they, yeah, we. I mean, we basically had to like family, and it was it was just in a synagogue. They didn't even have a nurse there. Yeah, that to me would be very worrying. And I, how I, old I, is a kid? Eight days. Oh, yeah. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also like it's a baby. And it was just I felt like I was participated in something that was bad. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if like uh, something that makes us more like reticent to like feel full strong on it, or at least for me, is the fact that no almost no one talks about it. You know, it's like in America anyways. It's such a normal thing. for Yeah. 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 I didn't even know until like a few years ago that like in Europe, like people actually don't do it. Right, now like, me neither. I mean, <laughs> I was a full adult before I realized that this is not how it's done everywhere. Because from yeah. Saudi, we just moved to North America and this is really like a normal option that's offered, I think, at hospitals. I think uh-huh. you have to pay for it, but I'm not entirely sure. I don't have a son. I'm actually fearful of ever having a son because I'd have to have this conversation with my in-laws and Right. Oh, that would be difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I wouldn't do it. I mean, I have some other friends that are Muslim. They have a son and they have not circumcised mm-hmm. their kid, but they also did, didn't let the moms like change the diapers. So they had no idea. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. There's like so many considerations you need to have, like if you're going to hide it, you know? Yeah. Because like for an adult, no one sees them. Naked. Right. <laughs> With Nita, the, they have this ritual bath or whatever as well. Oh yeah. So and actually, this. So I'm. So uh, Leia and I are getting married. Uh, actually, at the end of the month. Oh, end congratulations! Of next, yeah, thank you. So um, and we're gonna have a Jewish wedding, and the rabbi. So, right, like up until now in her life, like Leia's been having her period and not going to the not going to this ritual bath. Right. It's called a mikvah. Um, because that's the, really uh, in the community, like only married women do it because they're the only ones, they, they're the only ones who the ritual bath makes you, you know, spiritually pure again. And you only need to be spiritually pure if you're having sex. So, because sex is such a spiritual act, right? Right. Well, Although I guess it could be. It could be, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, but, I mean, if you're not married, you're definitely never having sex, right? Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> so, so, so for for before the wedding, like the night before the wedding, she's gonna have to go to this, you know, to this mikvah bath and like dip herself in. Oh, to, wow, she's gonna do it. 
Yeah. So this was this was interesting because when we decided we were going to get married, like we were very aware that whichever, like depending on the rabbi who performs our ceremony, will make a difference in what sort of religious things he wants us to do in order to marry us. So, right. Like even though they're all Orthodox rabbis, but they'll have different like right. you know yeah. frictions. So you guys and, are doing this in the Orthodox manner because of family or? Yeah. So it's pure like for we weren't even planning on getting married. Like marriage is at least at this point, like wasn't really something very you know important for us. Uh, we were living together like we just like we're happy with our life. But we are planning to sort of move away from our families and like just, you know, this Jewish community area. And hopefully further and further away. Just um, And do you guys, uh, you're both ex-Orthodox Jews. Yes, right, right. Are you both like like atheists? Yeah, yeah, I would say we're both atheists. Um, you know, we have like some slightly different like attitudes on things. Mm-hmm. That's sure. always going to happen. Yeah, but but definitely the, just like the, the, the truth of the religion and just, the practices like are both for both of us are very just not uh you know we're not into like both the right both like we don't we're not the the theology just doesn't ring true to us at all and then the practices and that's good that you have that in common like the both of you are leaving this orthodox faith and together you know being disbelievers It, it it helps to have that bond and that you know, common background. I have that with my husband too. We're both, you know, non-believing um, ex-Muslims, and we have slight differences of opinions. Obviously, I think no two people think exactly the same all the time, but it does. It it really helps to create that bond. I think to have that shared background and leaving that together, and sometimes it can be a bit lonely and isolating to leave your faith and um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden not you know, have to oppose, have to be opposed and have to stand up for yourself all the time. Even in the most liberal of Muslim families, as a disbeliever, it's not a very comfortable existence because Allah is invoked, I don't know, every 10 minutes. I completely relate to that. It's like when I, yeah, when I, when I was first leaving and I would just notice how like, even like my friends who, you know, were just regular sort of, you know, pretty modern people in the in the religious community, I just like talking to them a lot of times got tedious because there was just constant like God was a rationalization for a right. lot of things, obvious reason for a lot of things, even things that you don't, you know, necessarily think or, you know, intuitively. And it was at some point it was just like you can't you know you start to feel like you can't have real conversations because you can't push back against the god thing you know you can't yeah you have to just bite your tongue a lot of the times and it gets very frustrating yeah yeah certainly and i remember i mean for 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 the first like two three years after i left i literally didn't talk to any other atheists except for my brother um, who's also atheist? Wow, older. that see that helps. I wish my siblings were atheists. <laughs> I mean, they're, I think they're like non uh, non believing types, but I think atheism is a step too far. As yeah. is for many people that I know, even like Western friends of mine. Like we all bonded on being non believers, but when I came out and said I'm an atheist, that was really like whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's yeah. a bit much. But hey, we used to all laugh about religion together. Yeah, but whoa! Now you're a full blown <laughs> atheist. Okay. If, 
Yeah, it's one of the best defenses I think that religion has, at least in North America, is how like they've stigmatized the term atheist. Yeah, yeah, it's Be really sad. sad. It's really sad, and so it makes me want to like proudly use the word atheist. But then there's also this like group of atheists that's that's really like. I see a lot of good atheists just removing the word atheist from their Twitter handles because it's like becoming associated <laughs> yeah. with these, like, I don't know, like asshole teenagers that are making terrible points and just hating on everyone that isn't an atheist for no real yeah. reason. Yeah, just like the, it's, I find that, you know, I think that you, like, actually through um, finding you on Twitter sort of opened me up more to seeing that world. Um, this, like, I don't know. I think I was in a little bit of a bubble or something. I think everyone starts off in that bubble when you're yeah. like, you know, oh, you know, this is great. There's other disbelievers and awesome. <laughs> we all hate this shit together. And <laughs> But then the pendulum swings too far on that side for some people. I'm not saying, you know, before everyone gets upset at me after hearing this, no, no, I'm not saying the atheists are awful. I am one of them. <laughs> I expect better from people who have the sense to not believe in myth. Right, yeah, right? Like for, it seems for me that athe like finding atheism was like this, uh, it, was, it was purely the freedom to like not have to believe something anymore that really was, that felt like it was weighing me down. Right. And for me, and for me it was very able, like my atheism felt like very detached from other things. It was like, I just, I, you know, I, I found the I found the reason to not believe in God and or like the the permission in a sense mm -hmm. to not and I you know and then I was like okay great now I can sort of get on with my life and there's power uh, in just numbers right when you see there's so many other people identifying that way and you can take the plunge from being a, an agnostic you can just take that step further yeah. like, I forget who the quote is by but. <laughs> Excuse me, I've been having this cough for ages. But um, the quote was, uh, what's the difference between an agnostic and an atheist? A couple of years. Yeah, I, I very much relate to that. It didn't take me a couple of years, but I remember like having a distinct conversation on my journey on the way out. I was at my friend's house for a Shabbat Sabbath meal. And like something came up about abortion and I was like, and I was sort of pushing back that I think abortion should be legal. And they were like, nah, nah. And then one of the fathers said like, well, you know, the rabbis, you know, would say that abortion is against Jewish law. And I was like, well, then Jewish law is wrong. And like, <laughs> I like at that time, like that's when I like think of as like, I was out. By then that's when I like really thought that you know, you can make up your own mind. And like, if somebody said something, you know, just because they were an authority, if they said something that was, that seemed wrong, then it could be wrong. And that's just that. But at that point, I definitely, like, I remember answering the, they asked me if I believe in God. And I was like, eh, 50 50. Yeah. Like, it's 50 50 whether or not. And then, like, just a few months later, I was like, oh, no, 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 it's not even 50 50 anymore. Right, right. And it is liberating. It's fantastic. I just wish that, um, uh, these really loud-mouthed, hateful ones would kind of go away so that yeah. we can be reasonable and level-headed and, uh, you know, occupy that sensible space, that middle ground, which seems to be being drowned out by loud voices on either ends of the extreme, the religious apologists or, you yeah. know, 
the equivalent. Yeah, and I, like, I may have just made my Twitter more like friendly to this sort of atmosphere, I think, recently, mm-hmm. because I've noticed like an uptick in that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. The people, you know, shaped like just like uh, when I, I hadn't seen like CJ Worldman or Dino Badala like tweet yeah. oh, gosh. for like a long time. Like I had heard of them and hadn't heard. And then I see whenever I read their tweets, I'm just like shocked. Yeah, it's, it's delusional. <laughs> like it's almost like they're straight trolling because it's hard to imagine anyone takes them seriously otherwise. A lot of people <laughs> just look for that legitimization for so that they can sleep at night knowing that you know they believe in religion and that is the right thing. So they have these atheists telling them, or or not atheists. I guess CJ is an atheist. Dean is not, but. If CJ is, you know, sold out and is willing to say that, you know, one thing he said was, I think every single new atheist blog promotes violence against (laughs) religious people. And I'm like, what? Like, how can you say that? Like, that's utter bullshit. I don't think almost any of them do. Like, I've never really seen it. And if anyone is spreading that kind of nonsense, they're you know, hopefully being shouted down. Right. Yeah. And it's certainly not the, uh, the overall impression I get from listening to any of the critics of religion, really. You no, know? not at all. But yeah. when you see the occasional one, you're like, you've got to be stopped, you know? Yeah. yeah and that's also like, um, you know, when I, uh, like there, there's like a tendency, I think maybe to think like, oh, well, since religion is wrong, like, we just got to eradicate it. Mm-hmm. And, like, that might be the end goal, but we, all, we also just have to deal with the world as it is today, and the world as it is today is, like, more religious than it is not. So, you know, like, there needs to be just a path. Absolutely. Right. Where the, yeah, and I where think the, that, um, that sensible, level-headed path is the one that will make, you know, conversations progress rather than either extreme, that extreme defensiveness where you're like, you can't say anything about religion or you're a racist white supremacist <laughs> or, you know, you can't defend anyone's right to believe or you're a secret Islamist. I mean, being, I think, an ex-Muslim puts uh, me in a position where I truly get to see both sides of that hate, like people who hate Muslims so much uh, yeah. that they even hate ex-Muslims because they say they can't trust them because of their background. Um, and I find those things, like, just so shocking, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just like, what? Like, I'm saying that I left the community and I'm openly living as, like, a critical person of this religion, right. this community, and you're concerned that I'm really a double agent? Yes. Like, <laughs> do we? Do they even need double agents? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy conspiracy theorists, right? Yeah, that's, you know, I, it's people like to confirm their beliefs, like you said. They do, definitely. And getting, yeah, and seeing people that don't really conform, you know, would be difficult if they didn't have that tool to just put them in one of the boxes. Yeah, and I mean, see, I think, I think a good um, thing that I get from leaving the faith is this complete shedding of tribalism where I feel solidarity with all kinds of people from all kinds of tribes, you know, it's because of that outsider status, not really fitting in and never really having fit in to like any tribe really. Like always feeling even like an outsider in the Muslim community. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. It gives you that, um, I guess, wider perspective of uh, not being defensive again. Like, you know, sometimes people are just like so anti-Jewish that they don't even care that you're like an ex-Jew or their anti-Semitism just comes through. They won't, you know, that tribalism is always there for some people. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? I would have to say like maybe just like once or twice on Twitter with people like making like You haven't had many experiences with the lovely alt right where they think everything is like (laughs) part of the Jewish agenda. (laughs) That was a phrase coming into my head before when you were talking about the the atheists that have like uh, Right. You know, a big social lovers. (laughs) Yeah. I think of like Milo Yiannopoulos. He's not an atheist though. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, but <laughs> that's true. That's true. He, I feel like he. I just I saw an article recently, like sort of fitting him with that group, though. Right. Right. You know, no, like, I can. Oh, I can right. see. He's. But yeah. I mean, it, with him, it's, it's also like, of, is he serious or is he trolling? Yeah, we definitely don't know. But no. I, I mean, it's almost like Trump level, where even if he's trolling, he's doing so much bad stuff. Oh yeah, as far as yeah. Trolls. I saw a video of him like doesn't make it better. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it makes it worse. I saw a video of him in an interview defending a pedophile priest that, you know, asked him to perform sexual favors on him. And he was like, oh, well, he was hot or whatever. I loved it. Or it's just gross. Wow. Awful stuff. People like that should not be given any credibility or platforms. But sadly, they are loud and they get a lot of attention. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's the double-edged sword of the of social media are just the freedom for yeah. everyone to, get, to have a platform. Yeah, is. I mean, I think it's great that everyone, I think even like really abhorrent views deserve to be heard rather than silence so that we can at least identify the people that hold them and shield ourselves or inoculate ourselves to their nonsense. That's yeah. why I don't believe in uh, no, no platforming people or things like that. But what concerns me is that when they are given uh, interviews with you know people who are seen as credible that is worrying and they are left unchallenged right right there needs to be like we need to be okay with having even hearing abhorrent views but we need to also be better at pushing back against them exactly yeah or at least informing people about them yeah yeah and I like yeah for me I also see it as you know, like if some person has abhorrent views, they only like really get a platform out of following because there's many people who are like at least sympathetic to those views. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And and I, yeah, I do see it as about like figuring out how to, you know, just I guess make the views sort of you know disgusting. Make you know I, the way we do with a lot of views. I think it's you know it just takes social time, like time. Yeah, and I mean like the way the university atmosphere is going nowadays. You you said you worked at a school. I work at a, a middle high school for kids with autism, so not the same environment. Oh, okay, okay. Right. But I do, yeah. So then there's a, a lot of, like in universities, this talk of safe spaces, and so then people become reactionary to that and then become like social justice warriors, but to the right where they're so hateful of, you know, this, this safe space crowd is like, oh, everything is racist, everything is misogynist. And then this reactionary to them crowd is like, nothing is racist, nothing is misogynist, we don't need feminism. And right, like, and yeah. 
it's really is it, it feels like in so many ways the the conversation is just being confused right you know, and it's for, being volleyed between these two extremes right instead of like just pure like people just focusing on you know trying to get to a better place collectively yeah I mean, and that's Which, what yeah. I mean when I say that that both those things derail the conversation, especially in terms of Islam. Yeah. But we got off track there a bit. Back back to Orthodox Judaism. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which only just plays a small role. Really? Although, yeah, it does. It's not um, nearly as harmful at all as Islam. And that's, you know, something I hear a lot from people who think I'm an Islamist. But you can't compare other extremists. No, no, I'm not comparing. I'm just saying that they all need to be discredited. Sure, Islam is the one at the forefront, at the head of the line, killing, beheading, being disgusting. And um, this meme, a lot of my friends, uh, you know, regressive left, liberal, <laughs> lovely Western friends will share is like of the KKK and then ISIS together. And it's like, you don't define Christians by these people. So why do you define Muslims by these people? And I'm like, that is so flawed because a, of course, nobody should define a diverse group by either of those extreme groups, but to deny any association, yes, the KKK was inspired by their beliefs, their religion, <laughs> and ISIS is inspired by their beliefs and their religion. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And it's like, um, mm, I lost my train. I lost my train. But I do, right, but there's this, I, I think it's this element of like, where like the religion, right? The the beliefs matter a lot, but there's and there's also this element of what the the sort of zeitgeist of the religion is. You know, which parts of their belief they're focused on and how they're you know uh, interpreting them and using them. So like, I think you know with the KKK, like there was the elements of Christianity that are racist and that you know want to like um, be violent against the other were brought out in full force to mm-hmm. support. That kind of movement. I mean, that's what happens when you have such a vague, contradictory scripture, like over a couple thousand years old. Like, you can pick and choose your way, and that's fine. Pick and choose your way. Like, uh, again, with um, uh, Orthodox Judaism, I saw that there's a distinction between modern Orthodox and ultra Orthodox as well. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Yes, can you explain that a bit? Yeah, sure. So, and it's kind of funny because I don't think of myself as growing up as having grown up ultra orthodox, but I certainly didn't grow up modern orthodox. So I'm much, I'm def- definitely was closer to ultra orthodox than I was to modern. Um, so but, would your yeah. dad like say not want to sit next to women on the plane or something? No, my dad would sit next to women on the plane, and he would, uh, you know, he he might even. He might even like in terms of in, in like a business meeting type thing or like, a you know, as a as a uh, to be cordial, like he might even shake a woman's hand. Wow. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is sort of like the line where like I remember that being like a point of contention where some people in some settings would shake a woman's hand and some people wouldn't. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys are all confused. <laughs> it's just a handshake. But, yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it's also so confused because right, the real like idea in the religion of like not touching women is so like you know people aren't having sex before they're married it's like well shaking someone's hand in a you know in a business setting 
is not is only sexual because you guys can only think of women in terms of sex. <laughs> <laughs> because you're kept away from them. Yeah. You know, like this religious idea of sexual purity and virginity is really creating people with, you know, uh, people who can't stop thinking about sex. Yeah, right. Because it, it just, it's deprived, they're deprived of it. Mm-hmm. And it manifests and it really, in all kinds of horrible ways, as you can see, like priests molesting kids and mullahs molesting kids and raping women. It's yeah. just... And just the general, like, treatment of women, you know, uh, where they're really, like, it's almost, I feel like, hard for people in, in that spot place to, like, separate this the sexuality of women from, like, the humanity of women. Yeah. And, I mean, I... And they justify this stuff so so weirdly in in their heads. I remember speaking to a woman who was working at a sperm bank in Pakistan, and she was telling me that they have like I guess adult magazines for when people want to like, collect their sperm. And so this religious guy came in, and they gave him the magazines like usual, and he was like, "Well, no, this is forbidden, but you have like a little boy or something." <laughs> And they were like, what? That could be fine. What the fuck? Like, how do you justify, how do you, I mean, it makes no sense to them. It's just wrong because the book says, you know, sex between man and woman shouldn't happen before or outside of marriage. But I guess it specifically doesn't say you can't jerk off to little boys. Right. Um, so they yeah. justify it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It really... You know, right, like that that idea of like the things that are in the book and they just become like this black and white and it's not about what you're, the action. It's all about, well, if it's right, it's right. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the end game. Did and you then, guys have sex ed? Like, did you go to a religious school? So I, I went to like, a, yeah, I went to like an orthodox, like a, an all boys religious school that we've studied like, you know, Jewish studies basically uh, the whole morning. And then in the afternoon, we would have uh, we would study secular studies, you know, just regular. Um, At academics. least they had that. Yeah, although a lot most, of Muslim schools don't even have that. Even would you say even in the states and even in like the West? I mean, I I'm not really the best person to ask because I've never been to a religious school, <laughs> so I probably I'm very misinformed. But I mean, I know some relatives who put their kids in um, religious schools and. Uh, I've seen the kids' personalities change. They've become shy, quiet, detached. It's really sad because they're like flourishing at normal public schools and then all of a sudden the parents decide, well, no, they need a religious education. And I remember the mom telling me that um, this one, the the son had math and science. I think those are the two, I guess, secular studies classes that they have. But they're – the same class for 10 to 13-year-olds. They all take the same class, and this is in Canada. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, come on. Like math and science that you <laughs> learn at 10 and what you learn at 13 is hugely different. Yeah, or it so. should be. I guess if you're in – if that's the only stuff you're learning and that's yeah. the only class. I can't imagine how good the secular education is was at that school. but. Yeah, and there are, there are Hasidic schools in Brooklyn that yeah. – teach especially like high school age they they don't teach them english they don't teach them you know like any of those secular studies or whatever they're just learning about you know the the hasidic community and jewish life 
Oh, um, wow. And I suppose that prepares them well for life outside? Well, specifically for the life they're going to lead, which is get married at 18, have 20 kids, and maybe be a rabbi. <laughs> right. But nothing other than that, it prepares yeah, I them I mean, the for. Hasidic community is a real bubble. Yeah. Like, a real... They, they reject, like, all the forms... I mean, like, I grew up reading a lot of, you know, novels or whatever kind of books, and they... They, like the Hasidic community just rejects all that you know like music was not like music from from secular singers was not okay for me growing up oh really also, yeah we did like we only listened to like Jewish music wow and I started listening at like 13 14 and there's that actually this so like, fascinating like I can't imagine growing up in the states and not having access to <laughs> excuse me music you know just regular like I mean in living in Saudi where a lot of it was censored and banned, I still found like Marilyn Manson and stuff really? like that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that that's awesome. I where there's yeah. a will. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think you know, in a lot of ways, I just almost didn't even know enough. You know, when I went to high school, my parents got me like a discman that had radio on it and I would like listen to FM radio, some Radio Disney and then some Z100 when I was like 14. Aw, that's so... <laughs> right. That's kind of sweet, but <laughs> it's sad, you know? Yeah. I like, and now it feels fine, but that definitely leaves me with like catching up. You know, I definitely have those those uh, interactions where people are like, well, you never watched that? And yeah, I, like, I mean, I have some of those because simply because I grew out, up outside of the continent. So, you know, there's some like children's Canadian shows that I have no idea. Like they'll be like, oh, Pokeroo, ha ha ha, like a childhood <laughs> reference. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sorry. So it's not really because it was banned or whatever for me or not permitted, but it's just because I didn't uh, have access to it from being okay. elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, I can relate to it on some levels. And again, this is that fascinating, uh, I guess, uh, split between us where I'm from the liberal end of an orthodox religion and you're like from the orthodox end of a more liberal religion. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would say that, right? Like there's something like 15 million Jews in the world. And if I like my my understanding is like 80 to 90 percent of them or something like that are like reformed or conservative. Yeah. Right, like the Orthodox Jewish community is really small. Yeah. And up, I basically thought of Reformed Jews as not Jews. Oh, yeah? Like that's how we thought of them, yeah. Oh, so it's very much like Ahmadi community and regular Muslims. They're also considered non-Muslim pretty much. They reject. Yeah, I've been seeing a little bit about that after that uh, Ahmadi, uh, you know, shopkeeper was murdered. Yeah, yeah. what is the deal with that? Why are they not considered Muslim? Because I think they believe that there's a another uh, messenger after Muhammad. I okay, okay, okay. They they like sort of they they're like breaking sort of one of the traditional the true yeah one of the hardcore tenets like fundamentals right yeah right okay yeah I guess I guess that that is sort of similar to how like where like the reform community sort of sees Judaism as this evolving thing. You know, which the Orthodox community does not at all. Right. And I mean, look at whose life is easier. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's, it was really, yeah, oh, I would so like about that um, sort of divide. Like for modern Orthodox community, like 
so like as you go up the spectrum, like modern Orthodox communities, they're like closer to conservative in a way. Mm-hmm. And so they like, you know, my friends who were modern Orthodox growing up, like would listen to non-Jewish music and watch all the movies. And, but and they all dress that. conservatively and they also don't like, say, um, use machinery or whatever during the Sabbath. Right. So they would also, they would still keep the Sabbath and the kosher. Yeah. Like, like the, the, some of it is really though hardcore, even to be described as modern. Like I had a friend in university, great friend, but like going over to his house was a bit of a crazy experience for dinner because they have like two separate kitchens. Right. Like a meat one and a dairy one. Yeah. And two separate dishwashers. Yeah. Like yeah. nothing could touch. And so it, it kind of made the whole thing awkward because you can't really help clearing up. You don't know where to put what. And yeah, very and- strange. And then he also, even though he, he describes himself as Jew-ish, like not really, (laughs) right? So he would still not have the courage to tell his parents that he drove over on the Sabbath. Like, so he'd get his friend to like park the car, like down the block and then we'd have to walk and like, wow, this is really intense. You're like a normal modern guy. What is happening? And another girl in university, she'd go clubbing, dancing. Then one time I asked her out, like to come out on a Friday night. She's like, I can't. Why? Because, oh, I can't blow dry my hair that night. <laughs> I'm like, what? This wow. is so weird. And for someone who had no exposure to Judaism, like growing up in Saudi, you almost didn't uh-huh. even hear that it exists, right? Like there was right, no mention so. of it. There was no acknowledgement of it. There are, there are no Jews in Saudi? Uh, maybe some tribal, like small right. in the desert, but none openly. They're just not allowed. There's Judaism is not allowed. It's, it's a banned religion. Everything is a banned religion. Oh, okay. Even Christianity. Yeah. Or like, okay. Like but, I mean, you're not allowed to practice anything except wow. for Islam. Yeah, that's how lovely and sweet of a place it is. So <laughs> I remember, like, we'd get like uh, Bollywood movies from India, and they have a lot of scenes where people are like praying to their uh, like gods or whatever and they censor those bits wow like there's just like superimposed with pictures of flowers blowing in the wind (laughs) i know that type (laughs) yeah so i mean but judaism was not even heard of like christianity and hinduism at least like you'd hear about it like i didn't even know it existed for the longest time and wow yeah, and then uh, we finally got Coke in the city that I was in, Coca-Cola. Uh-huh. And no, they, not the other kind of Coke. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they told me, like some rumors in school or what I forget how I heard, but they said that it was – we didn't have it so far because it was like Jewish-owned or – I don't know. But I don't <laughs> even know if that's true. But. Right. Like there's always these rumors that yeah. go like <laughs> So many of them like when I was in high school that like I just – Googled when I was an adult and I was like, oh, that's not at all. What? Where did they get that from? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I started asking questions like, why did, why are we not supposed to like Jews? What is wrong? And never really got a straight answer. Like there was a lot of, uh, mm, uh, uh, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Seems yeah. like nobody really knew, but we're just supposed to not like this. <laughs> Yeah, that that seems to fly a lot. I noticed in like in the religion in religion. Like for me also, there was a lot of that. Like you couldn't just ask anyone, like any dad, you know, any father, like in my neighborhood, uh, any question about Jewish law, and they would know. Like most of the time, they'd be like, "I don't know." You have to ask a rabbi. 
but it's That's just they they're deflect. all yeah. Yeah. But they're all practicing it. You know what I mean? And they're all like come across these situations where they got to make their own decisions. Yeah. No, no. Then they send you <laughs> off to the scholars. Or they just like make it up if no one else is around, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just like decide based on your intuition what's probably right. Because, you know. <laughs> so your wedding now, is it um, causing some controversy, some waves in the family? Has your atheism caused any controversy and waves? So. The atheism, at least for me, like my, my layoff, my fiance definitely has a different situation here um, where, and that's actually interesting to touch on in a second. With my family, when I first stopped keeping, so I actually went through this phase where I like, oh, this is great because I just listened to Majid's book, Radical, uh-huh. also. And now I found that very interesting, uh, his like memoirs. And yeah, I got to read that. I haven't read it yet. So it just came on Audible. So it was very easy for me because mm-hmm. uh, the audiobooks I take the train a lot in the audiobook mm-hmm. as well for that. So he mentions like he 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 like uh, line, delineates this like journey out of um, rat, uh, extremism where like first you become like disillusioned by specific people within the you know with within then you get to, then then there's like this disillusionment of like the methodology mm. of and then there's like finally a disillusionment with the ideology itself. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that resonated very much with my see, experience. See, here's that thing again. I, I always see like people that are members of other Orthodox religions really relating to the Muslim experience. I even saw like a lo- a couple of uh, ex-Westboro Baptist church members really mm. keeping tabs on what's going on with ex-Muslims. And it's just, we. I don't know why, but it's I, I, a very it's related. A shared, <laughs> yeah, it's a very much Excuse a shared me. experience. Yeah. You know, of... Yeah, like of growing up in such a narrowly defined, strict worldview yeah. where everything is so black and white in the way things are. Mm-hmm. And when you come out of that, you're just like, you know, the, the, like the, the size of the world like greatly expands and you're just like, whoa. It's amazing. so much here. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it really is beautiful. So like I would say that throughout like my high school years even, I, you know, there were like I would meet rabbis and be like, "Oh, this guy's an asshole," or like whatever. You know, you'd have uh, the rabbis who cared. You know, they ran a school, so what they really cared about was money, not like mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. And then, um, and when I was like nineteen or twenty, I sort of reached this point where I I, I was like stuck. When I, I went to Israel after high school to study, it's very common in the community to like you know spend a year in Israel like or or more studying uh, you know Jewish law and stuff like a seminary kind of study. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there after high school and when I came back and I, I, I like studied like a lot. And when I came back, I sort of had this feeling that I was very like, I, I believed in Judaism, but I thought that the Jewish community, especially like in Brooklyn and in America was just completely misguided. They were mm-hmm. doing everything, all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. And they didn't know what they were doing. And for whatever reason, my response to this was like, okay, so then I don't really need to do any of the practice of Judaism. Like I believe in it, but I'm not going to practice it right now. And so I was like okay. sort of doing that for a little bit where I was like, you know, very much in secret, but I would like, yeah, I would like, you know, use my phone in my room on like the Sabbath and stuff like that. And then at some point I sort of got, exp- actually my brother just mentioned to me once, like in passing that he was atheist or something about atheism. And up until this point, I didn't even consider it like a, an option. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about atheism because like. God was so just yes, you know. It was it was like before I could think about God, He was already there. Right. Yeah. And, and, it's very uh, unfair how that works. Yeah, and that, that's like how deep indoctrination really goes, you know. Um, and then I just started to 
there was like it was like twofold. I would like I was watching debates on YouTube, which definitely helped a lot. Just seeing, you know, people like answer all these questions without having to invoke God. And the second thing was just reading forums of people discussing, and the amount of people that I saw online just being like, "Yeah, religion's a joke. Atheism rocks." Blah blah blah, that kind of stuff. And I was like, "Oh, so it really is a legitimate option." Like <laughs> it made me feel like I could choose that if I wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I think the internet helped me too a lot to go for. I mean, I think I've been uh, an ex-Muslim and a disbeliever in religion for more than half my life, but that step to atheism was really helped by seeing other people vocalize their disbelief on the internet. And I'm like, you know what? Why am I clinging on to this thing that, you know, oh, maybe there's a higher path, like that I don't even really believe in and I laugh at myself for believing in this, but I got to just, you know, take the plunge. It's not as scary as it seems. It is isolating a bit. I did lose some friends. Um, And, you know, I guess uh, some family members are like, oh, we always knew it, you know. And (laughs) You're like, I didn't even always know it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I Uh, have some extended relatives who've like always said that, oh, yeah, maybe she worships the devil and stuff. So, Oh, like in very much that way, right? Yeah, they can't really see the difference between atheism and – yeah. Which is which, I mean, which is scary. Like that I was, you know, a few months ago I was having a conversation with uh, an Orthodox Jew, who, and I was just trying to explain that when I say I'm atheist, all that means is that like the reasons, you know, all the evidence that there is that there might be a god doesn't work for me. So yeah. I don't think that there might that there might be a god. It doesn't mean anything more about what I value in life or anything else. Right. And she just would not have it. She like basically refused to accept that that's you know atheism to her came along with. These other Instead views. of beliefs, no, yeah. I mean, just show her like how many conservative atheists there are, and pro yeah. pro life atheists, and <laughs> and then you can just find the religious atheists, you know, the people who are like atheists, the dogmatic atheists, atheists right? <laughs> yeah, so it really it's so diverse, right? But I mean, whether we like it or not, it is developing into some sort of a movement for sure. I think now with the help of a of uh, the internet it's yeah i that the internet for me also i think with i don't know how i would have like gotten out without the internet basically yeah definitely yeah and i'm sure a lot of people have that experience you know you just like you could just couldn't connect to people so far away from you or so for sure it's so it's amazing to be able to do that and i mean for me, in Saudi, we got internet, I think, a couple of years later than the rest of the world because it, everything was delayed a bit. <laughs> right. So for me, the first thing about the internet now is was exploring Marilyn Manson. I was a teenager and <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I finally get to like look up Marilyn. A lot of it, a lot of his sites were banned <laughs> in Saudi though. Of course, right. Yeah, but. Wow. Yeah, I mean, when I... Now, like my my Leia's um, like siblings who live in Lakewood, New Jersey, which Lakewood, New Jersey is like this very it used to be a resort town that uh, like in the 40s, a rabbi came from Europe and like uh, established the yeshiva there, like a seminary. Mm-hmm. And now it's ever since then, it's just been this growing Jewish community. And it's this really like in a bubble Jewish community. The, the population of the city like grows a ton like every few years because they're having lots of kids and people are moving there. And there's like a really and it's a very like entrenched and very like in its own little world and they're like they don't have internet and oh. i'm sure a lot of people have internet specific people but like a, like a lot of the families don't have internet and a lot of like the schools like 
will kick your kid out if you have internet in your home. And see, and this is how they control minds. Yeah. This is how they keep them in this bubble because they won't let you explore. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the internet is really, I think, like the most dangerous thing to religion. It really you know, is. I, yeah, I mean, it aids ISIS too, but it it really right. will be the downfall of and the dismantling of religion as a whole. I think. I hope. Yeah. Yeah, and so about the, so this this relates well to so for the marriage, right? So back to getting married. Um, so my like Leia, her sisters, her two sisters who live in is who live in Lakewood just wouldn't talk to her and wouldn't let her their kids talk to her. They wouldn't let her talk to their kids. Um, what? Ever, yeah, ever for like the past few years. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And my and she like, when she was 18, she sort of moved in with her sister in Lakewood and was, you know, basically like partially babysitting and like taking care of their kids a lot. And she got really close to their kids. And for her, it was very painful to just, to not be allowed basically yeah. because she wasn't religious and because she was living with a man. That's really cruel. Married. Yeah. And ever since, so and that was to some extent like an impetus for us to get married ever since we just, we haven't even gotten married yet. See, and because, that's how it's so mob-like religion because they force you to do their, you know, to, to buy into their stuff. Like even me, like I wasn't really, you know, marriage isn't really that important to me. Mm-hmm. But we did it because we had no other choice. Like I, I even my my family's a lot more liberal than his. But even them, they would not have been okay with us just living together. Um, did you live together before you got married? Um, or is that unofficially? <laughs> uh, um, how do I answer that? You could just move on to the next. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. So yeah, so even though we're like not married yet, but only as soon because, as we, only because I don't know which of my relatives are going to be listening. So the official yeah. answer is no. Right. Obviously, so, I had never even met him before my right. wedding night. Uh, is that how it's like supposed to be? No, no. I mean, they knew they knew we were dating. They right. yeah. No yeah. one really. But you do you do meet a little bit before you get married, even in like officially, sort of like official conservative arranged marriages. You mean it mm-hmm. varies, right? Like even now, like even within that, there's a spectrum. There's like the the modern arranged marriages where pe- parents will just introduce different guys to you that they approve of, and then you pick the one you like, and then you can date him after that. But assuming that that dating is going to lead to marriage everyone goes in with that assumption so then there's the oh they'll just show you photos that doesn't really happen (laughs) Uh, just show you photos it sounds like a like a police lineup yeah yeah, you pick and uh, i mean i don't even know anyone that's gotten arranged married like that maybe my grandparents i don't know but but nowadays it's very much the the modern kind where you can date and talk to each other and it's just that your parents will introduce you. Of course, in my, a lot of people in my family, no one really does the arranged thing. They just met and then. Yeah. But, and the dating was though more like marriage guided than just. Oh, for me, you mean? uh, Just for your family members that you said didn't really. Oh yeah. I mean, now everyone really lives in the West. So it's like normal dating, people will meet people at college and just date or, you know, like I met my husband at university and we dated. Right. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. And very similar to sort of how it is in the Orthodox community 
where you get like all my siblings, like basically, well, they have these like, there are just like people who like sort of, in a sense, their job or their side job is to be a matchmaker. They sort of. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of older ladies in our community yeah. that, that are always at weddings. Exactly They're like the looking same. out. They're looking out for like eligible age girls and yeah, like young men who are doing well, and then they just like pair them up, and it's sick. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, and here there's for us. I don't know, but for us there's like an element where like uh, when you make people's like wedding matches, it's sort of like meant to be that you'll go to heaven. Oh, really? Some, I think there might be an element of that too yeah. in our think, community. Some people even like claim that it's like a number. Like if you've married, if you've met, made four people get married, oh, then really? For sure, go to heaven no matter what. <laughs> I, I've heard stuff like that. I, I mean, know. I think I've heard that, and I haven't heard a specific number, but I'm, I'm not the right person to ask because I don't really deal with those people right. or those <laughs> beliefs, so I'm not very well uh, informed about them. Right. Yeah. So. My, like all my siblings basically, you know, did that where somebody, you know, who knew of our family and knew of some other girl's family would like set them up and then they would go on. Yeah, they would go on some dates. And usually in the beginning, they're like not really in contact with each other outside of the dates. They're just talking through the matchmaker. Um, and then like after a certain period, then they would sort of, you know, start dating like essentially like proper where they would ditch the matchmaker and just and but usually Are by that point, dating. Yeah, well, I mean, like even the dates at first, like there wasn't like someone on the date with them, you know. Okay. But but in between dates, yeah, they weren't talking to each other just through the right. matchmaker. Um, but usually, and usually by the point that you drop the matchmaker, it's usually like it's you know a few dates in, and it's like oh, we're probably going to get engaged. <laughs> yeah, those decisions happen very quickly in that setting. Very, yeah, like they kind of have to. And oh, before we before we go, can you tell us about this um, wedding consummation ritual? Like yeah. where they stick the couple in the room and okay yeah yeah so but I um so we, so after we get married that right right after this there's like a ceremony like under a tent a little bit where you know the bunch of Hebrew words are said and you break the glass which is like a pretty famous thing uh-huh. um so then like you you walk directly with your bride or to uh, what's called it's like a private room what's called a yichud which is just which means it's this like basically men and women are not allowed to be alone, you know, like when they're single, like throughout. Right. So this, like, Heaven so, forbid. What right, would happen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and so for this, they like specifically like put you alone in a room for about ten minutes, so that way and like people wait outside. So the, right, there's two like sort of guards at the door. This is just this is to like confirm that you guys were in, and they also check the room to make sure it's empty. And it's to confirm that you were in the room alone for 10 minutes because they don't need to watch you having sex, but they, <laughs> you need to have been able to have had sex nice. to, like, not, to consummate your marriage. Yeah. And then – so that is – that will be so something. So awkward. Is it, it not? I'm imagining it's going to be kind of awkward. It's definitely <laughs> awkward. Like especially at most weddings, like Jewish weddings, like – so the, 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 you have like – they're walking back and you have – tons of all these guys like usually like the the groom's friends and like his parent you know and family and whatever and they're like dancing and singing like walking the bride and groom to this room i mean the bride must feel so uncomfortable yeah i bet i like, mean it's not her friends dancing you know yeah it's other <laughs> just people. all these guys she doesn't know and they're 
dancing her to her like to her consummation her room. Right. It's really creepy. I mean, oh, yeah. we have uh, something like that. I don't know if it's like religion wide or if it's just a Pakistani thing, but we have like a celebration um, right after so our weddings. South Asian weddings go on for weeks. Like we have so many oh, events, cool. so many days and parties. So then the final wedding party happens. And then two days after that is the, what they call a Valima. And I found out as a, I don't know, maybe like 12, 13 year old, that this was to celebrate the fact that she had finally, that they had finally consummated the marriage. This can only happen after the consummation. Uh-huh. So, so it's you, like the deal is sealed. Let's have a party. Yeah, it's and it's so awkward. Like, yeah, it's so Especially weird. It makes like, such a big thing out of sex. Like normal but, secular people would never like celebrate having sex with each other in a party unless it's like a I don't know like an orgy or something. But no one really throws a party. Like, hey, we had sex. The contrast of like the taboo around sex, yeah, like the celebrating of having married sex is just right. It's a a beautiful sort of contrast. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but hey, best of luck to you on your wedding, and um, hopefully the consummation ritual will not be very awkward. (laughs) But it will just be family. Like we're having a very small wedding, so that will be good. That's good, and hopefully there's no drama, no like. you guys you evil atheists yeah like yeah i think i think being married is really like like i was saying the fact just the fact that we're getting married like uh leia's siblings are you know Happy talking about to that. her again and they're that's letting good her, but it's yeah. so sad that it has to be like that i mean yeah it really it really is and these are like the subtle bullying. ways yeah yeah and these are the subtle way you know the more subtle ways in which religion sort of damages people yeah. in the this, the, the, the tribalism area, you know. The Absolutely. Out- yeah. And then it really individual rights don't matter. It's like yeah. the like not rights <laughs> of the group. You have dishonored our group yeah. by, you know, having premarital sex. It's so fucked up. Yeah. The honor system that I hear about from like the, uh, you know, from in the Muslim community, yeah. Muslim communities is really like we don't even have, I don't think, such a good sort of. Uh, you know, Carl, whatever, like uh, parallel in uh, in Judaism. But yeah, that's I don't like, think many people do. I think also uh, it happens maybe in Hinduism a little bit or okay. Sikh cultures, like South across South Asia. There's honor killings. Right. Wow, and so. that's just such a a hard one to swallow every yeah. time about it or think yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, girls have been killed for laughing, clapping. Um, wow. Dan, uh, there there was two sisters that were at a wedding and there was a guy that came in and just did a little like dance move and they clapped at it and they were killed. That's crazy. And there's not, I don't even have words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's religion. It gets yeah. crazy. That's why you keep fighting the fight, right? <laughs> Definitely. That's why we should all keep fighting the fight and speaking up and really it was such a pleasure to talk to you today because there's so many relatable things and experiences very much yeah you take care and thank you have a great wedding all right thank you you too have a good one okay take care bye 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 thanks for listening to another episode of polite conversations you can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it making some noise about it 
or contributing via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. Music